will keep answering them. So, so that's just an encouragement for you. Um, I want you to, we, we're on a series talking about um, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And if you look behind me, you'll see lots of different names of who Jesus is. That's a reminder for us. Only some of them. He's way more than that. Um, but these are just some examples of who Jesus is. And today I want to talk to us about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the Saviour. Jesus, the Saviour. And honestly, I don't know how anybody can do justice to that in uh, 25 minutes. And I am going to try and do this in 25 minutes, I promise. That's very unlike me, but I should try. So uh, it's really, really impossible to do justice to that. Um, And I just want to encourage us that... as I will try, but let's just keep engaging as I do this because God wants to do something in each one of us, including myself, as we go through this this morning. So uh, Jesus is our saviour, and one of the scriptures that we will remember, if you, if you already know that scripture, but if you don't, um, I'll read it to us. It's in Matthew 1. Um, when I was sharing that with somebody earlier this week, they were saying, ooh, that's a Christmas story. And I said, yes, it is about Christmas. And today's the 24th of June. So we're nearly equidistant between last Christmas. I know, I know, I know. And it's exciting some people, but probably not everybody. <laughs> but I, for those of you who want to have some Christmas chocolate, uh, I can encourage you, I still have some from Christmas. <laughs> So if you want to eat Christmas chocolate, then come to my house. Okay, so, um, and I will share them with you, I promise. Okay, so here is Angel Gabriel speaking to Joseph. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give his name You will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus is the name. The meaning of the name Jesus is Savior, Deliverer. And what the angel prophesied was that he will save his people from their sins. How will he do that? I want to kind of present to you what I think are the three different ways that scripture shows us that Jesus does, did do that. The first is that Jesus took on human form. So that's what we heard today. His incarnation is one of the ways that he brought deliverance. If he, was, if, if he stayed in heaven, we would still be in our sins. But because he chose to, the Bible said, empty himself of who he was as God, and when he emptied himself, he took on human form. And being found in that form, he humbled himself even more and went to the cross for us. He went to the cross for us. That act of incarnation, that act of taking on human form is what allows us today to say that we are Christians. If he never did that, we would still be in our sin. And I know sin is a really interesting concept for the modern generation. Most of us uh, who are older kind of are happy enough to recognize that there is sin in the world. But the, the, the postmodern thing is very much kind of slightly unhappy with the notion of sin, unless we get sinned against. Because I'm sure even the modern generation recognize if they get sinned against, they recognize it. But they're very unhappy with the notion of sin because 
everything is relative, isn't it? The, the relativity is much more important than the notion of this is a sin and that's not a sin. But God doesn't play around and mess around with that because actually sin separates us from God because God is a holy God and our sin stops us from being able to access his presence. And the second thing is that sin also separates us from one another. When we wrong one another, we know it. Something happens that blocks the flow of that fellowship. You don't have to be a church person to recognize that. If you're in the workplace with your friend and somebody says something that's really awful or nasty, you know that immediately that happens. There is some distance between you. The other thing that sin separates us from, it separates us from our real self, the person who God makes, made us to be. When we sin, there's something about us not being quite fully ourselves. Even when we do it against someone else, we recognize that we, what we've done is just not right. And sin separates us from our real self, who God has made us to be. But Jesus took on human form. And as he took on human form, he demonstrated to us that it is possible to live life that pleases God, to live a life that is pleasing to God. He became our example of what it looks like to live incarnationally. And when Jesus did, I love what, how the Amplified puts um, John chapter 1. I can't remember whether it's verse 8. It says, and the word took on human form and moved into the neighborhood. So we, each one of us who believe who have received Jesus, are incarnate like Jesus is. We have moved into our neighborhood. And what Jesus did when he moved into the neighborhood was he didn't just live in one place. We know that the Bible talks about him forever doing that journey, going from place to place, village to village, sharing the good news of the kingdom. And it's the same for us. We get the opportunity as we go about our day-to-day lives to share the good news of Jesus in an incarnational way. When we relate with people, what do they need to know about God? What, what is the good news that they need to know? Because we now have Jesus in us. Jesus came to live in human form. We now have God living in us. It's like an awesome divine exchange of incarnational living. Do you get that? Does that excite you a little bit? that we now have God living in us and we get the chance to show and display him wherever he has caused us to live or to be. You might be going shopping. That's an opportunity for you to live incarnationally because Jesus did it wherever he went. He displayed God's kingdom. The second thing about how I think Jesus displayed or how he showed us he was, he is savior is by This outrageous act of love that he did on the cross. The Bible says, we all know that John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world. The emphasis emphasis on so. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but would have everlasting life. So again, Jesus did what needed to be done for us to be reconciled with the Father. If he'd only come and lived incarnationally, that would have been amazing and such a good example for us to look at his life and the way he lived it. But, he did, but that would never have reconciled us to the Father. His death on the cross, the fact that he chose that most painful, agonizing, shameful death, 
means that we no longer have to carry a burden of sin. I really want to emphasize that to all of us today. If there is any Christian, anybody who has made their peace with God, anybody who has, give, who has received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you know, you must know, you must receive the truth that your sins are forgiven. And I want to say it's not just your sins from the past. It's not just the sin that you might commit now. It's all the sins that you will ever commit. They have all been nailed with Jesus on the cross, and we are now free from those sins. Of course, sometimes the enemy will come and tell us that that is not the case. He will remind you of something that you did in 1997 that was really, really awful. But I want you, when that happens, to proclaim and declare that you have been forgiven. And when the enemy tries it on you, when he does that, just remind him of the cross. Just remind him that on that cross, somebody else took your punishment, took your guilt, and took your shame. One of the things I know that uh, many postmodern people, millennials and all that group of people think about a lot is, I'm not quite sure I agree with sin, but they recognize what shame is. We, we all recognize what guilt is. And Jesus does not want any one of us to carry either a sense of guilt for something we did a long time ago. I was with someone yesterday that just lo- lost a loved one. And in that conversation, they were obviously beating themselves up about something that had happened a long time ago. I'm talking about probably 18, 19 years ago. And they were like, oh, I did this. Then they said, but then this person had told me they'd forgiven me. But they hadn't received that forgiveness. And at that point in time, I was asking myself, who should I be to this person? What can I bring? How can I be Jesus to this person? What they needed to hear, because I didn't know whether or not they'd given their hearts to Jesus, but what they needed to hear was that that other person who'd passed away had actually given them a gift of forgiveness, but they hadn't received it. So what I did was to encourage them to receive the gift that this person who no longer was with them had given them. And it's the same thing that Jesus has done for all of us. Whatever it is that you have done, I want to say to you, Jesus has forgiven you. He doesn't want you to carry a sense of guilt. And even if tomorrow you do something else, please remember Jesus has paid the full price. He doesn't want you to take and carry with you a sense of guilt. Of course, he wants us to come to him and ask for forgiveness. But I want to say to you, there are times that we wrong him and we don't know. I speak for myself. Sometimes I'm so blind and I say things to people I have no idea that it might have been hurtful. So am I saying unless I remember that particular thing and ask him for forgiveness for that particular thing that I'm unaware of, that he wouldn't forgive me? Does that make sense? So even when we don't remember, it is a, a, we are in a place of forgiveness. It is a gift that we have been given. It's called the gift of righteousness. And that's the gift that anybody who receives Jesus gets to have, a gift of righteousness. Please let us receive this gift. Let us walk in this gift. Jesus paid such a price for us to get it. And one of the things I really love us all to be able to do is to say with great boldness, I am forgiven. 
And if you compress it even more, to say with great boldness, I am righteous. And that's not because you think that you don't sin. That's because Jesus has given you and me that great gift of righteousness that we could never earn, but he's given it to us. The third thing that I think, the the way that Jesus has demonstrated that he is our saviour, is the resurrection. Oftentimes, we're going to church, I remember we were at college a couple of weeks ago, some of you will know, I'm quite shocked that some people don't know that I am studying, but now it's out in the open, I'm studying, I'm doing a, a postgraduate diploma in theology, ministry and mission, sounds very grand, but it's a whole lot of work, that's all I can say. So we had um, Roy Sales, I think is his name, come to talk to us the other day at college, and he said something, he said, you'll go to most churches, you'll always find a cross. How many churches do you go to that you'll find anything that reminds us about the resurrection? I have to say it is hard to do, and I'm really encouraging all the creative people among us to come up with how Christians can always remind ourselves of the resurrection. In fact, one of the things he said, uh, where we were, we do college at um, St. Thomas's Crooks, and there was a cross, and near the cross was a door. So imagine that cross was somewhere over here, and there was a door. So he said, you have the cross. Could you do something that looks like a tomb by that door so that we kind of get a sense that Jesus resurrected? That might be a good idea, but creative people might even come up with something even better. And I'm looking at two people in the room who are making eye contact with me right now. Uh, Andrew's not here. Okay, should have been the third person. Right, so here we go. So he wants us to remember that he is our saviour because God raised him from the dead. Raising him from the dead means that the sacrifice that Jesus made for us was 100% plus more acceptable to the Father. If it was any bit short, he would not have risen from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead when he was alive. You remember that? Lazarus being one of them. But the difference between Jesus' resurrection and Lazarus' resurrection was that Lazarus died again. But Jesus ever lives to make intercessions, to pray for you and I. He will never taste death again. He's tasted death once and for all, for all of us, so that now he's risen and lives forevermore. And the assurance he gives to us is that because he's alive, we too will live. We too will live. That's awesome news, that we too will live. And right now, that life of Jesus is available to each one of us, to live from the place of his resurrected power. We mustn't be afraid to be a people of power. We mustn't be afraid to demonstrate, to be expectant of God's power. I know it's really hard for us in the West. We, life is so comfortable that sometimes we don't even recognize our need of God. If you lived in a place where your next meal depended on God breaking through for you and providing for you, you will remember that there is power in the name of Jesus to provide. But because we have so many things easily given to us, it's really hard for us to recognize that. But having said that, there are areas in our lives right now that we need God to demonstrate his power. One of them is for people in our congregation here who are sick and are believing God for healing. That's an area in which we want God's power to be released. It's not the only area. There are many, many other areas where we want God's power to be released. 
So I've talked here about incarnation, about Jesus taking on human form. And I'm sorry, I cannot unpack these things as well as I want to because I still have a few things I want to talk about now. I've talked about incarnation. I've talked about his, his crucifixion and how that frees us from sin and how we now live in freedom. And I really want to say if you're here and there's any way in which you're bound to any sin, any sin, I want to proclaim freedom and liberty for you in the name of Jesus, especially addictions. Honestly, I want to say as a Christian, I, I really, I know you think of that, Nika, that's such a small thing. I really was addicted to soap operas, two in particular, EastEnders and Neighbours. And honestly, I, what, I know I'm ashamed, but I've been delivered from shame. <laughs> when I said, I am no longer ashamed. I was ashamed to say that. Right, those two. And I have to say, Jesus has fully delivered me from that, as members of my family will, will, will confirm. I, I don't care about them anymore. I could occasionally get to be aware that something is happening. It just doesn't bother me anymore. But there are obviously worse things to be addicted to. But there are people in this room maybe who are addicted to alcohol. And you know it. People perhaps don't know it, but you know it. There might be people here who are addicted to pornography. People may not know it, but you know it. There are other people who are addicted to all sorts of things that are lying, and you know it because you just exaggerate all the time. You can't help it. It just feels like it's gripped you. I want to say that there is freedom, there is liberty in Jesus, and that is one of the things I feel God wants me to proclaim here this morning. If there's anyone who needs deliverance from that kind of thing today, when we finish and uh, we break bread and we're going to pray, come forward and let the ministry team pray with you. I believe that God will give you the, the freedom that you need. Um, and Hebrews 12, 4 uh, talks about, it's a very, very um, strong word that I think the writer of the book of Hebrews has to say. And you know, Hebrews 12 is the passage that we're looking at um, that talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. After it talks about, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He then says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's a hard scripture, isn't it? That's a really hard scripture. But I think that scripture can be asked of us because Jesus already did that. Do you remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and it felt like not just sweat, but blood, like drops of sweat was coming out of his body? He already resisted sin on our behalf to the shedding of his own blood. And what scripture says, and what God showed me today, uh, this morning, I think, was that we are not resisting sin for victory. We're resisting sin from victory. Because Jesus has already won the victory for us. Our resisting sin, if we get that mindset shift, I believe many of us will walk into greater victory in our lives. We're not, we're not striving against sin to get victory. We're striving against sin from the victory Jesus won for us to our own victory over sin. 
I'll say that again. We are striving, we are winning the victory over sin from the victory that Jesus has won for us so that we can enter into our victory over sin. And that's really good news because it means we don't have to struggle. He has done it for us. I'm just going to invite Jane to come and share a story. Um, Jane is in our mission community and I'm sure like your mission community we have a WhatsApp group and it's I don't know what we did before WhatsApp groups. I just think they're amazing because very quickly we can share stories. And in our group on Friday, she'd asked us to pray for something. And then this morning, she... Um, can I have the other mic, please? And this morning, she, um, she shared... Yeah, this morning, she shared the story. So I'm just going to ask her very briefly to share her story. Okay, so 20 years ago, a young couple, we've been talking about moving into neighbourhoods, moved into our neighbourhood, and we had a church that was very much community-based in the neighbourhood. And they came to have their wedding bands read. And so I invited them to lunch. And from that blossomed uh, quite a deep relationship. They weren't Christians at the time, but they, uh, their husband did an Alpha course. And the short, long story short, we've been friends for 20 years. And... Um, and, and they're called Chris and Claire. And Chris and Claire came to... We moved into the neighbourhood here, and we had a, a, a housewarming party um, for our friends from Derby, all of, uh, some of them, and some from Sheffield, uh, and our neighbours, who are very important to us. And at that, at that time, um, Chris and Claire hooked up with our next-door neighbours and uh, invited them to come to Derby for a beer tour uh, because we all have a common love of beer. And so on, on, uh, on, on Saturday, we got the train to Derby uh, and met up, and um, it, it was a wonderful evening. Cheery, beery conversation. And um, we have a goddaughter who is Chris and Claire's daughter, and... She's scared of homeless people, and so she avoids going... She's only 10, she's, uh, she's, and, and so that cropped up in conversation. And then um, it, Chris mentioned... I couldn't believe it, because I'd prayed that there would be conversations around faith, and Chris, uh, Chris said, um, well, actually, I'll read this, if, if you don't mind, because I'll go on too long, and I've been told I'm on short time. Yeah, you've got okay. one minute more. I've got one minute more. <laughs> Uh, so this is the testimony. Thanks so much for your prayers last night. We had six hours of cheery beery conversation, which got deeper as the night went on. Our friends were the ones who started te- uh, the testimony. Very naturally, they spoke of how the leader of Derby City Mission took up a challenge to end homelessness in Derby. He saw a building for sale at 1.2 million and went to make an offer uh, of the 12,000 he'd managed to raise which was rejected, surprisingly. A businessman in London heard about this and agreed to underwrite the purchase and pay the mortgage for five years. They've just bought the building and are doing it up as a shelter. And from that, a a, a night of... Our friends' next-door neighbours were absolutely gobsmacked by that. And from then, they just kept asking questions about faith we got into really deep conversations about bigger pictures things that they'd seen that they didn't understand the working out of 
uh, etc. And um, yeah, it's it's just great and uh, to 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 see what's happened as a result of asking for prayer. And and I'd actually given up on doing anything specific. I, had, I thought I'm not going to manipulate conversations, but it was actually our friends who we brought to Christ who a few years, 20 years ago, who then started it up the conversation. So just to encourage you, um, because interestingly, they've gone off now, Anna and Chris, this morning to celebrate their, um, their third wedding anniversary. And we, you know, yeah, we bless them as they go. Mm. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to more of these things because they enjoyed it so much that they're suggesting that we do it regularly but with different people so if anyone wants to go on a beer tour around Elby and it's great fun then do sign up here <laughs> thank you that's awesome thank you yeah thank you so can we see how incarnational living plus that thing about how Jesus went around and did good and made a difference wherever he went was exactly what happened in this story Somebody was really concerned about being incarnational in their neighborhood with their friends. The friends came to Jesus, bought this building, which became the story that then is now still being, God is using to bring somebody else, draw somebody else to him. Does that make sense? So we are called as people of God to live like Jesus lived. That opportunity is there for us to live incarnationally wherever we are. It's there for us to live from the place of sacrifice like Jesus did in his crucifixion and victory over sin. And it's also there for us to release God's power into wherever we are and in many different ways. For example, the one that we've just learned today. I was really blessed on Monday as well to see what the church in the city was doing. Uh, Some of you would have read it in the Star uh, where there'd been a faith action audit of the, of the churches in the city. And some of the other faiths joined in, but pre- the vast majority of the people involved in that audit were Christian churches in the city. And I think it was £11.2 million worth of volunteer time that it was reckoned the church in the city gives on a yearly basis. And they reach, if I remember, 240,000 people every year, which is a quarter of the population of the city. So which means that every time you walk past anybody in the city, one in four is benefiting from the Church of Jesus, realizing they're living incarnationally and blessing the people of our city. I want to ask, it's awesome, absolutely awesome, How do we grow in living like this? How do we grow in this? How do, we, how do we allow Jesus to do this stuff in us even more? How do we allow him to help us live incarnationally? How do we allow him to give us victory over sin? How do we allow him to help us live out the power of his resurrection? I'm going to tell you a little parable. I wish I was good at storytelling and I'll do it that way. But you would all know that once upon a time, there was a woman called Megan Markle. Excellent. So you know where I'm going. And she was just an ordinary woman. But one day she met a guy, her prince, whose name is... Thank you, Harry. And Harry chose to marry her. In marrying her, Meghan no longer was an ordinary 
person became now a member of the royal family. By marriage, she's no longer an ordinary person. She's now a member of the royal family. But it takes a lot to wipe out 33 years of living like an ordinary person. What happens? The queen appoints a member of her royal household who apparently, so the papers say, but you don't believe everything you read, but I'm going to believe this one, over the next six months is going to help Meghan learn how to be royal. And I'm sure that includes that amazing royal wave as well. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's going to help her to become like that. Right. That is a parable there. Now, we have been adopted into God's family. We didn't get there by marriage. We got into our royal family by Jesus shedding his blood for us and our Heavenly Father adopting us, translating us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, of his delight. Unlike Megan, we don't have an external person telling us how to live. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us the moment we've been translated, whether that was from when you were a child and the people in this room who don't know any time when they, were not yet, when they weren't Christians, that you're right there in the story too. So the, the Holy Spirit is in us, and therefore, from the inside out, we are getting changed. Megan is getting changed by someone speaking to her from the outside in. Do you see the difference? But the parable is still the same, still holds, because what we're seeking for is being transformed from one degree of glory to another. She is seeking to be changed from an ordinary person to a royal person. But Jesus does the work in us. And I love what scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26. It says that Jesus is sanctifying us by the washing of the water by the word. As we engage in the word of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to minister into our lives, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Let us not underestimate why it is important for us to engage with the Word of God and engage with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about just reading our Bibles, but because what the cycle for Megan will be, this person in the royal household will come and say, Megan, this is how you sit. You cross your legs with ankle from your ankle. Commoners do it at the knees. You will do it. I know. That's no, no. And and, <laughs> and 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 quickly. And oh, I thought you were going to do it. There we go. And is doing it at the at the ankles. You see, that's she will get told from the outside. That's the way to live. We get told from the inside by the Holy Spirit living in us how we ought to live. And I want to encourage us that as we allow the Holy Spirit to continue to change and transform our lives. We will live out differently like God's people are meant to live out. So my challenge to us this morning is this. When you meet people, are you consciously asking the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to interact with this person? Is it incarnationally? Is it from the point of view of the crucifixion and the fact that sins are forgiven? Or is it from the point of view of the power of God being made manifest in their lives? We need to be asking the Holy Spirit that. How can I be good news to this person here and now? 
And the second question will be, for each one of us, I think that there is probably one of those three that we would naturally live from. We might naturally feel that we're incarnational people. We ju- it's just easy for us to be that way. Or we might think that actually for us, we recognize that the power of sin is broken. We want to bring that good news of the power of sin broken into people's lives and that they no longer have to carry guilt. Or for some of us, it might be actually we're people who love to see the demonstration of God's power. That's just our natural bent. I want to encourage those of us that first identify which is your dominant place from living out the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just what your revelation of Jesus as a saviour has been. I think I know mine. I think mine tends to be number two. I tend to kind of recognise sin does not have a hold on my life. It's good news for me. I live from that place of goodness. I just don't... It just doesn't occur to me that I'm not righteous anymore. Not because I'm a good person and I do everything right, but just because my mindset has been shifted. I no longer live under the dominion of thinking that I'm held in sin and its bondage. That's my natural bent. A second close one for me will be that resurrection thing. I love to display God's power. I love that, but I think that's kind of like number two. So let's each find out what is our dominant one. The second question will be, what is your least? Where do you least operate from? Because I believe that God wants to say to us, he wants us to grow in that so that we can embody the fullness of God's love into our society, into the people that we meet. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the awesome news that Jesus is our saviour. We want to thank you that it is so rich and so all-encompassing, the salvation that he's wrought for us. And Lord, I want to confess that there are times that I know that I live my life not really recognizing the fullness of what you've done. And I know even if I thought I knew it, you'll keep on showing me more and more aspects of what that looks like. But I want to thank you for the spirit of revelation that you've poured out upon us today. And I want to ask for every one of us in this room today that we will not leave this place the same in the name of Jesus, that the power of your word will break through, bringing deliverance, bringing healing, bringing freedom from sin, bringing freedom from oppression, from guilt, from shame, that we be set free to be people who would live for you with great liberty and abandon. And Lord, where we need to see your power break through, we want to say yes and amen. May we see the the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead for us so that we know that in him we too were raised from the dead and we're no longer living the lives that we used to live before. You've given us power to live like he does. And we ask, Lord, that we will, wherever we go, in whoever we meet, we will constantly be Jesus to them, constantly live our lives to glorify you. Amen.